Section 32 of The Wounded Name by D.K. Broster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Eileen. Chapter 10. Sans Tache. Quote. Will you leave me here? So wrong, so proud, so weak, so unconsoled, so mere a woman. And I love you so. I love you. End quote. E. B. Browning, Aurora Lee. Did he do right? Did he do right to go? Virginia de Cotomac asked herself on this the ninth day after her son's departure. Yes, of course he had done right, but had he done wisely? They are not always the same, she thought. And then, oh, you foolish, faint-hearted mother, you ought to be proud of having a son who does not count the cost of devotion. And she was proud. She had made no attempt to hold him back. Had he not told her, at last, with all the rest, of an arm with five burns upon it? Moreover, there was always that flooded river. And of his friend's innocence she had no doubt. But supposing he could not establish it, it was not only on Lokong's account that she had shivered as she thought of what had been going forward these last few days at Oran, a sort of bois de fauvette over again, as Lokong had put it. But Lokong himself would be there this time. Yes, indeed, she was glad that he was with Loiselog in his ordeal, but still she was a mother, a foolish mother, no doubt. And the general's words had been very weighty that day in the salon. Logon could hardly have flouted them more openly and more immediately than he had done. No, Logon cared nothing for himself and his reputation where his friends was concerned. Logon who, as he had so absurdly remarked on the day which saw the beginning of all this enslavement, would never be a mother. Oh, dear boy, said the Comtesse de Cotomac, and went and worshipped the recent miniature of him on her table. No woman, she was sure, had ever had a son like hers. It was just possible that today would bring him back, and that tomorrow they could start for their stay at their country house in Picardy, as they had arranged without the ants. They would have a delightful autumn, with plenty to occupy them at Cotomac. But she paused on this thought. Yes, it would be delightful, provided that Logon did not return from Brittany broken-hearted. If Monsieur de la Gauchetterie were not cleared, he would be broken-hearted. What, in that case, was she to do with him? But, of course, Loiselag would be acquitted. Yet, he had really sent the letter, and, of course, for the sake of a woman. Back came the memory of that evening in Devonshire, when she had begun her clumsy remark, and he had replied that there was no danger. How oh, dear me, reflected Madame de Cotomag, sighing. We women, it is not only as mothers that we are to be condemned. And this one, I did not understand. Well, I think from my recollection of him that I could have understood anything that Monsieur de la Gauchetterie had done. Oh, I have that amount of infatuation in common with Logon, at all events. And to her thus congratulating herself entered a domestic. Will Madame receive? The card was presented to her. 
Madame la Comtesse de Villecresne. How the Comtesse de Villecresne ejaculated Madame de Courtemar. She remained speechless for a moment. Yes, of course. Where is she? In the large drawing room? Ask her to be so kind as to come here to my boudoir. She could not have been more astonished had she learned that the Empress of China had called upon her. Madame de Villecresne herself. She, precisely, who had not understood, who had been so cruel, but who was not to be blamed for it. Laurent's dictum. The pale girl who came in did not look like an empress, nor like a woman who could be cruel, nor even like one who did not understand. She looked as if she understood two things only too well, loss and a regret unutterable and hopeless. That comprehension spoke so clearly in her whole appearance that it caught Madame de Courtemar by the throat. Oh, you poor thing, her heart cried. But one did not begin like that at a first call. Rather, how kind of you to give me this opportunity of making your acquaintance, madame, when the visitor was seated, and the august sun came in from the Rue Saint-Dominique onto her wonderful hair. Now I can thank you for all your kindness to my son during his stay at Cécine, of which he has so often spoken to me. Oh, it was your son who was kind to me, was a voice unexpected rejoinder to this. And she went on, looking at Madame de Courtemag with the saddest eyes the elder woman had ever seen. If it were possible, I should like to have the opportunity of speaking to him again. Oh, it is not I whom she has come to visit at all, reflected Madame de Courtemag. Oh, it is Laurent, and to find out, of course, what has happened at Oran. Oh, I'm so sorry, she said gently, but my son has not yet returned, and I've heard nothing. I think, however, that we may expect him tomorrow, or even possibly today, and if you will allow me, he shall wait upon you at once and let you know the verdict. Oh, but, of course, it will be favourable. The bewilderment in the eyes gazing at her was succeeded by terror. A verdict? What verdict? Oh, good heavens, and did she not know? Well, she would have to tell her now, having blundered into it. Laurent is at Oran with your cousin, madame. Monsieur de la Rochetterie asked for a court of inquiry. If he has not informed you, it was no doubt that he wished to spare you unnecessary anxiety, and I regret very much that I should have mentioned the matter. But, of course, he will be acquitted. Must indeed be already acquitted by this time, and we shall soon hear the news. One great effort did a visitor make to save appearances. I left Cécile so unexpectedly, she said, with a formal air and a piteously trembling lip, and that the news has not followed me, or perhaps I shall hear. It was no use, and the strained voice broke. Aymar court-martialed, Aymar, she whispered to herself and covered her face. Madame de Courtemar impulsively put out a hand, but it was not seen, and she withdrew it. No, no, madame, it is not a court-martial. Monsieur de la Gauchetterie asked for it himself. He is not under arrest, I know. Besides, I am sure it can only be a matter of form. He must be acquitted. Behind the shrouding hands, the girl was quietly weeping. 
Madame de Courtemar rose and went to the window and stood there thinking. Since Avoy de Villecresne knew nothing of the business at Oran, which in itself was strange, it could not have been anxiety as to the verdict which had brought her here in the hope of seeing Lugung. It must just have been hunger for some tidings of the lover of whom, now, she knew nothing. Since his friend might know, she had come, a suppliant, for some crumb of information. How to be presented with this? Her poor child, her poor child. In a little, Virginia de Courtemag became aware that her visitor had regained command of herself, and she came back to her place. Oh, I cannot blame myself enough, madame, she said, as she sat down again, for having inadvertently thrown away, as it were, Monsieur de la Gauchetterie's consideration for your feelings. I shall have to make my peace with him, she added, more lightly. A voice face was suddenly flooded with color. What? Are you expecting him here, madame? Oh, no, responded madame de Courtemag instantly. No, I wish I were. I share my son's admiration, you know, for Monsieur de la Gorgeterie. At my age, unfortunately, one can confess it to a penchant for a young man. My son's devotion to your cousin, which dated, I think, from the first moment he set eyes on him, is quite comprehensible to me. I'm glad he's with him now, when no woman can be. Oh, it is not the first time, murmured Avoy, and she fixed her eyes on Lugon's miniature. What would Aymar have done there in captivity without your son? He would have died. Oh, madame, he has told me. Of that wonderful devotion and that never tired. Night after night, day after day, not only when he was so near death, but for weeks afterwards. And he, your son, unused to anything of the kind. I found once or twice in my life, madame, said Virginia de Courtemag softly, that a man can be tenderer than a woman on occasions. I like to think that my Lokon belongs to that company. But Avoy had caught her handkerchief to her mouth and looked away. Oh, good gracious, thought her hostess, was ever anyone such a blunderer as I this afternoon? She must think that I'm contrasting her behavior over the whole business with Lokon's, which was not in the least my intention. Not to leave time for this reflection to sink in, she hurried on, harking back to her visitor's question of a little while ago. Now, I expect Monsieur de la Gauchetterie is on his way back to Cécine now, with this unfortunate affair no more than a bad memory. Did Monsieur de Courtemac say that my cousin intended to return there if the verdict was favorable? No, I only assumed it, madame, as the natural thing. There was no indication of a subsequent plan, I believe, in his letter to my son. But Avoy leant forward. Are you sure there was no sign of what he meant to do, if the verdict was not favorable? Madame de Courtemag suddenly got up and seemed to consider that a vase of flowers near Lugon's portrait needed attention. The fact was that she had suddenly and very vividly remembered Lugon telling her of such an indication, and she was afraid that her face might betray her. She did not want to pass on the knowledge to that poor child. And yet, was it not her duty? For really, if Loiselard did come to that desperate step, and took it quickly, sailing perhaps from Nantes or La Rochelle, 
He might well be out of France before ever Madame de Villecresne could see him again, unless she were warned. Your cousin did say, I believe, she murmured, that if the verdict were unfavorable, which, of course, is unthinkable, he should probably leave France altogether and go, possibly, to the United States. Every remaining vestige of color went from Madame de Villecresne's face. Oh, but of course, dear Madame, went on Virginia, glancing at her anxiously, and that possibility is not worth considering. He's bound to be acquitted. And she made another attempt to lighten the atmosphere by adding, half laughing, oh, for purely selfish reasons, I'm glad to feel so certain of that, for otherwise Laurent would probably want to accompany him to America, and I cannot spare him. Her effort had no success. Gazing at her with a poignant directness and absence of concealment, a voice said, Madame, I envy your son more than anyone else in the world. He had his chance and took it, whereas I... Virginia de Courtemag could resist no longer. She stooped over her and possessed herself of her hand. Oh, my dear, surely it is not too late yet. Oh, forgive me. But I am so much older than you, and I do desire Monsieur de la Gaucheterie's happiness, which I am sure is bound up with you alone. And Avoy clung for a moment to the kind hand. Then she loosed it, as one who has no right to comfort. Yes, it is too late. He could not forgive the things I said to him that day. And I shall never see him again now. I have deserved it all, because I had so little faith. And he went through martyrdom for me. Martyrdom. He's going through it again, now. That alone. The inquiry, Aymar being what he is, is enough to kill him. Only I do thank God that he is not by himself there, and that your son is with him. She rose, in a calm of despair more moving than tears. Madame de Coquemag, looking at her in pity, suddenly heard a door bang downstairs, and a voice. Was it? Oh, wait, madame, pray, do not go yet. That sounds like Laurent. If it is, he can give us news. A voice shrank back. Madame de Courtemag caught her hands. Oh, my child, have courage. It must be good news. Apparently it was. There was the further sound of a light foot running up the stairs, a voice outside saying cheerfully to someone, Is Madame la Comtesse in here? And a hand on the door. The mother of this presence left her visitor, who shrank still farther back towards the windows. The door burst open. Maman, maman chérie, me voilà. Yes, yes, of course it is all right. His sword given back to him untarnished, as the general said, and quite an ovation afterwards. A supper with Don Ligny, no less. It was he who... Oh, first, I must tell you that I've brought back a friend from Oran with me, rather against his will. In fact, I had the deuce of a tussle over it. So you will give him a warm welcome, won't you? He can't run up the stairs like me, so I came on in advance. But who is it, dearest? asked his mother, disengaging herself from the whirlwind. And you've not seen, Logon, that I have a visitor... But Laurent had gone to the half-open door and flung it wide. The guest who could not run up the stairs had just arrived on the threshold. There was a faint cry from the other side of the room. 
but Imag only saw Madame de Courtemar. I really was brought by brute force. That must be my excuse, Madame, he said, smiling. To inflict myself on you was no part of my plans. It has been as near a case of kidnapping as I ever remember to have heard of. Madame de Courtemar, the tears coming into her eyes, gave him both her hands. Oh, my dear Vicomte, she said, rather unsteadily. And Aymar bent his head and raised her hands to his lips. It was at this juncture that Laurent became aware of Madame de Villecresne's presence. The shock in his state of effervescence was almost calculated to unseat his reason. But perhaps so many shocks in one room counteracted each other. Aymar was the only person who had not yet received his. At any rate, Laurent was able to cross the room and kiss Madame de Villecresne's hand. He did not quite know what he said to her, nor she, doubtless, what she said to him. Afterwards he had the impression that she never even saw him, her eyes being elsewhere. Laurent's went in the same direction, and so he saw Aymar receive his shock. He changed colour, stiffened a little, and bowed, but he showed no signs of advancing from Madame de Courtemar's vicinity. The Englishwoman outgeneraled him, however. Oh, come, Vicomte, she said, laying her hand for an instant on his arm. You will want a word with your cousin. It was a lucky chance that Madame de Villecresne was calling here today and can be the first to congratulate you. And making a little sign to Laurent, for his part ready enough to receive it, she slipped out by an unobtrusive door, followed by her son, and almost before they knew it, Aymar and Avoy were alone, in a silence. Forgive my intrusion, said Aymar quietly but formally to the carpet. Had I known that you were here? The sentence was fully completed by a slight movement of withdrawal. The court-martial, you were acquitted. I was acquitted. My honour is cleared, in the eyes of the world, at least. I succeeded in keeping your name from the public. If you really wish to hear any details, Monsieur de Courtemar will no doubt give them to you. He paused a moment and then added, Before I relieve you of my presence, I should be glad if you will tell me why you are in Paris. She tried to answer, but nothing came. Oh, if he would only look at her but he kept his eyes resolutely averted. No, of course it is no business of mine, he agreed, still gently. I had hoped. Oh, but that was not very likely in the circumstances. I'm sorry to have deprived you of a home also. There's no more to be said. He bowed, and this time turned in earnest and walked to the door. But the room was long, and the faint, broken-hearted cry fluttered to him before he reached it. Aimé! Aimé! Too many memories clung about that name for it to pass unregarded. Aimac paused while the lips that had uttered it tried to say more, and could not for tears. And slowly Aimac turned and came back to the little figure, came much closer this time, and now he looked at her at last. Why are you crying, Avoy? Why do you... Have you been ill? He asked, himself as white as a sheet. Twenty minutes later, a self-posted sentry, Logon, 
still leant over the balustrade of the great staircase outside. He had already beaten off Tante Clotilde, desirous of offering her congratulations on general grounds to the hero of Penescoe, and equally outraged and puzzled at being refused admittance by her great-nephew, and told with a nervous laugh that her felicitations might be premature. And now, it seemed a long time that they had been left alone in there, those two. Was it a hopeful sign, or no? Surely, surely. But when Aimag was hers, in very truth, would he be less his friend? A surge of loneliness went over Lokong, but he fought it back. What did that matter if Imar had his heart's desire? He heard the door open at last. He was afraid to turn round. Then he felt a hand on his shoulder, and a voice said, Lokong, and he did turn to learn what Imag's eyes were like when he was really happy. Oh, she wants to speak to you and to thank you. She owes you so much. Oh, but I, Lokong, how shall I? He paused as if to steady himself and, abandoning the sentence, merely whispered, Oh, friend of friends, and laid his hand over Lokong's where they clutched the rail. And their eyes met, and Lokong knew, knew with certainty, and that he would always be that to him. That happiness would not loosen the bond which unhappiness had so securely forged. And then he suddenly perceived Avoy de Villecresne standing there beside her lover. And her face, too, was wonderful. But it was at him that she was looking. Oh, I shall never forget. Locon, she said, and held out both her hands. End of section 32 End of The Wounded Name by D. K. Broster